So we, uh, we started this brand new series, Life Hacks, and uh, Brad is helping us with some wonderful wisdom there, but uh, we're going to take you to some deeper wisdom uh, uh, as found in the Bible through a man named Solomon. Um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, if you don't know, I'm from England originally, and my family and I, we had the opportunity this summer of going on a vacation back to England, which we always love. We get to see family and friends, but uh, one of the drawbacks of that vacation is when you get back, you're just exhausted. You've packed a lot in, uh, you're battling jet lag because of the six-hour time difference. So for about a week, we were kind of out of sorts a little bit, which is why I chuckled when I got on Facebook one day and saw my wife had put a post on there. This was just earlier this week. Uh, this was her Facebook post. Just just set my phone down to go upstairs and look for my phone. <laughs> Don't think I can keep blaming jet lag. Now, I'm sure it was jet lag, Casey. Uh, I can't believe you wouldn't have any other reasons to do that. And, uh, but uh, that, that kind of thing can happen sometimes. There were several comments under her post of, I've done the same thing, I've done that. And uh, some of you may be thinking, Dave, you've just thrown your wife under the bus. You can't tell a story like that. Well, I can because I'm about to tell a second story of what happens the next day, okay? So I've teased my wife and said, I can't believe you set your phone down to go and look for your phone. Uh, uh, I got home from work the next day, and I was wearing jeans, and I decided it was quite a warm day, and we were going out that evening, so I was going to change into shorts. So I, uh, I, I took everything out of my pockets and set it on the kitchen table there, going to go upstairs and get changed, come back, and I was going to reload my pockets again. So um, I did that, and I came back downstairs, and I put everything back in my pockets, and I realized that I'd taken my belt off my jeans, but I hadn't put it on my shorts. I was like, oh, I forgot to put my belt on. So I'm looking around, and my belt's not there with all my stuff in my pocket. So I run back upstairs. I'm like, maybe I just left it in my jeans. So um, I go into the bedroom, and find my jeans where I'd neatly hung them in the spot that I meant to hang. Now, they were right there on the floor. And I looked, and uh, <laughs> my belt wasn't on my jeans. So I'm like, well, maybe I sat on the bed. The I'm looking all around the bedroom, can't find my jeans. I go back downstairs. All my family's in the living room. I was like, guys, has anyone seen my belt? Not a response. I mean, I'm expecting everyone to drop everything and frantically search for my belt. I mean, they just carry on looking at the screens like, guys, has anyone seen? No one responds. No one's seen my belt. Casey, have you seen my belt? I haven't seen your belt. Well, I've got to go, so I'm just going to have to go with no belt on and, and take a chance. And I'll, when I get home, I'll, I'll look in more detail. That was that. So later that night, I forgot all about this. I'm getting ready for bed, and as I'm getting undressed, I, I take my shorts off, and I notice as I'm taking them off, I'm unbuckling my belt. So now I'm thinking... When did I find it? I don't even remember. <laughs> I'm like going back through the day, and I realized there wasn't a moment during the day when I found my belt. And that's when the kind of light bulb went on. I went, you know what? I was wearing my belt. The entire time I'm running around the house, guys, where's my belt? Where's my... It was literally holding my pants up. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So uh, Casey's phone turned out to not be quite as uh, silly as my belt. But um, I know that something like that has never happened to any of you here in the room, but in the slight off chance that something like that has happened, maybe like me, you find yourself wondering, ah, I wish I had a little bit more wisdom so I didn't uh, lose my phone, lose my belt. But actually, what we're going to find out this morning is that wisdom is far greater than something that helps you just remember where you set your phone or how your pants are staying up. Wisdom is something that is a much deeper thing that I actually think that God wants all of us to experience. Last week, if you weren't here, we actually started this series, Life Hacks, and we started by going back and looking at the, the life of a man named Solomon. Solomon was a king who lived thousands of years ago, and, and he was blessed with this gift of wisdom. And I call it a gift because this wasn't something he worked hard to attain. This wasn't a skill set that he developed. We actually learned last week that there came a point where God said to Solomon, he was 
Solomon was about to become the king of all of Israel. His father, King David, had passed away, and Solomon was about to take on the, the role of king of Israel. And God and Solomon were talking in a prayer, and, and God says, what do you want? I'll give you anything you want. And Solomon said, God, I need wisdom. If I'm going to rule this nation, if I'm going to try and step into the very large shoes that my father David had, has left to me, I'm going to need some wisdom. Now, I, I was super impressed to read that about Solomon. Number one, just that he would, he would ask for wisdom. What a wise request to make, to say, God, I need some wisdom. But number two, here's what impresses me, I think, just a little bit more. This is a king. This is a son of a king. This is a, a young man who has grown up in a palace, who's, who's probably experienced a privilege in his whole life, has been given everything he wants. There's a, there's a tendency in that kind of environment to become a little bit self-reliant, a little bit pompous, a little bit proud, a little bit kind of, I got this. I don't need any help. I've grown up in a palace. I'm the son of a king. But that's not Solomon. Solomon recognizes his weakness. He recognizes his inadequacy. He says, God, I need wisdom. And that challenges me. Because I can try and do things in my own strength a lot of the times. And, and I'm, I find it hard to ask for help sometimes. But we learn from Solomon that asking God for help in the area of wisdom isn't weakness at all. It's actually the, the smartest, the wisest thing you could possibly do. So we learned that God answered Solomon's prayer. He gave him wisdom. He became known as this great leader and man of wisdom. People would come from miles around to, to see this king and to hear the wisdom that he had. He was so wise that they started to document his, his sayings, his, his words of wisdom. And they, they're known now as Proverbs. You can go to the Bible and read the Proverbs that Solomon wrote. And they are 31 chapters of life hacks just these wonderful nuggets of wisdom that, that thousands of years later are still just as applicable to us as they were back then. These aren't just ancient wisdom that only really worked in that environment. This is still wisdom we can read in Proverbs that applies to us today. And over the coming weeks, we're going to dig deeper into the book of Proverbs. We're going to start to read some of those pro Proverbs, start to, to learn from the wisdom of Solomon. Again, if you were here last week, the challenge we sent you away with was why not spend this week asking God for wisdom? Solomon asked God for wisdom, and he was granted it, and everything else. Solomon gave him wealth and, and power and um, power over his enemies, all because Solomon asked for wisdom. So I sent you away and said, why don't we spend the week praying for wisdom? And, and maybe some of you this week, you were praying for wisdom. And this morning, I want to explain a little bit more about what it is that you've been praying for. If you're praying for wisdom this week, I thought it might be good this morning to dig a little bit deeper and say, well, what is this? What if God does give us wisdom? What's it for? What is it? What isn't it? So as we dig a little deeper, we're going to look to Solomon himself. Because have you ever been to a new place? Maybe it's a restaurant or a shop and it was a, or a vacation. It was just such a good experience. You can't wait to tell someone about it. You're like, man, you've got to eat here. You've got to check out this new store in the mall. You've got to, you've got to download this, this app on your phone. It's amazing. I just downloaded it. It's just great what it does. And have you ever had one of those conversations where the person is just, it's, it's not just the product itself, it's the passion with which they're explaining to you. You're like, man, I want that because I can see how excited they are about it. I want to eat there. I want to go on vacation there. I want to do that because I can see that they are so excited talking about it. Well, listen to how Pro Solomon talks about wisdom. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, he says this. He says, Joyful is the person who finds wisdom, 
the one who gains understanding. For wisdom is more profitable than silver, and her wages are better than gold. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. She offers you long life in her right hand and riches and honor in her left. She will guide you down delightful paths. All her ways are satisfying. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Happy are those who hold her tightly. Now, let's be honest, just here for a second. The ladies in the room, you, you, you liked that, didn't you? Did you hear how wisdom was referred to as a lady? And you're like, yeah, makes sense to me. Okay, guys, if you have any wisdom this morning, you will turn to your lady, to your spouse, your wife. You'll say, makes sense to me as well. <laughs> okay, use wisdom here. Come on. So Solomon refers to wisdom as this, this woman, this, this, this female attribute that we should all seek and desire. I mean, as I'm reading this, I'm not hearing like a little passive, like, you want something? I guess you could try wisdom. I mean, Solomon is talking about wisdom in such a way that I'm like, I want some of that. It's more precious than rubies, more profitable than silver, better than gold. I want some of that. Solomon's experienced such wonderful wisdom from God that he just can't help himself as he's talking to others saying, you need to check this out. You need to ask for wisdom too because it's amazing. Solomon is passionately persuading his audience on the virtues of wisdom. So we read this passage and there are others that he wrote like this and you can't help but think, I want to experience that myself. So knowing now that it was God himself who inspired Solomon to write those words, it was God himself who gave Solomon this gift of wisdom, I think the first conclusion we can come to this morning is that God wants us to seek out wisdom. God wants us to seek out wisdom. God wants us to ask him for wisdom. That's the conclusion I think we can come to this morning. That's the conclusion we came to last week, that, that God wants us to ask for wisdom. So the very first place we could start is there. Unlike Solomon, let's not look inward here and think, well, I don't need to ask for wisdom because I've got it figured out. I can do this in my own strength. I can. We've got to be humble enough. We've got to bury our pride a little bit and say, God, I know I've got some great things in my life and some great experience, but I still, I can't do this without you. I still need your wisdom. God wants us to seek out that wisdom. We see this play throughout the whole Bible. In the New Testament, we learned last week that um, a guy by the name of James, he echoed this statement. You know, James, this book in the New Testament, it's known as the, the New Testament book of wisdom. So it's like you've got Proverbs in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, you've got James. And James is a short book, five chapters long, but it's full of practical insights and wisdom. And James himself, a man of wisdom, says this in chapter 1, verse 5. He says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Wisdom is something that our generous God wants to give every one of us. So knowing now that he wants us to seek out this wisdom, knowing that he's generous and that he wants to give it to us, what is wisdom? How will we know when we get it? What does wisdom actually look like? Let's, let's talk about that for a second this morning. We know that he wants us to ask him for it, but what is it? What does it actually look like? Well, I'm going to kind of answer that question here by, by explaining what it's not. Okay, maybe if I can kind of help you defi help define this morning what wisdom is, and it'll help us really narrow in on what wisdom actually is. You see, wisdom is not knowledge. 
Wisdom is not knowledge. Now, don't get me wrong here. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Knowledge is important. Knowledge is incredibly important. And actually, wisdom and knowledge, they complement one another. But wisdom is more than just knowledge, more than just what you know, more than just what you've learned. The dictionary defines knowledge this way. It says, facts, information, and skills acquired by a person through experience or education. So knowledge is important. Many of us this morning could could list uh, various accolades that, that point to the knowledge that we have. But how many of you know this morning that having a a college degree, for example, doesn't necessarily mean that you have wisdom? I mean, check out this video clip. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Sorry. Pardon me. Can I just check this out? D plus. I passed. I passed. Oh, man. I got a D plus. I'm going to (laughs) graduate. I wish we'd known each other. This is a little awkward. I'm going to graduate. Did you hear I finally graduated? Yeah, and just a shade under a decade, too. All right. You know, a lot of people go to college for seven years. I know. They're called doctors. One of my favorite lines in the movie, because it's true. <laughs> you know, you could have a college degree, you could be incredibly educated, but that doesn't, that doesn't guarantee wisdom. I've got a really good friend in England, probably one of my closest friends, and, and he and his wife, we've known each other for years, they're good friends of mine, my wife and I, and he's incredibly smart, very well-educated person, he went to high school, graduated, went to Oxford University, got his degree at Oxford, went on to study politics, and then became a lawyer, works in the city of London, and just incredibly smart guy. Whenever Casey and I are back and we got questions to ask about, you know, why is it in England this happens, or how does it work with the royal family again? You know, he just knows this stuff, he's able to kind of explain all this stuff, and he's just He's very smart, but his wife will tease him because as well as being incredibly smart, sometimes when it comes to common sense, he just kind of does some dumb things. She'll tease him about this, and he was here recently, he and his wife, and we were all together, the four of us. They came over here for a wedding, and they stayed with us while they were here, and we decided to take them up to Chicago to see the city, and uh, I took them to one of my favorite places, one of my favorite spots in Chicago is if you go out by the planetarium, uh, by the aquarium, there you go all the way out to the end where the planetarium is. If you turn around then and look, you can see the entire skyline of Chicago. It's beautiful. It's just such an incredible sight, seeing all those skyscrapers, and the day we went was a very beautiful sunny day, so I took them out there, we parked the car, and we turned around, they're like, wow, this is great. So Richard, he's kind of standing just down the bank from us a little bit, and me and his wife Sue were stood up the top, and uh, he decides to get his phone out, and he's never used this feature before, but he knows there's a panoramic option where you can take a panoramic picture. So he's like, this is worthy of a panoramic picture. So uh, we, we discover this afterwards when he's telling us because all we know, soon as we're looking down and she just starts to laugh. I'm like, what, what? She she's kind of hits me. She goes, look, look at Richard. And he's got his phone out. And we're watching him from behind and all we see is him doing this. <laughs> and I mean, he's just not stopping. He's like, oh. <laughs> she's like, Richard, what are you doing? He's like, I'm taking a panoramic <laughs> So we go over there and we ask, so... 
If you've ever opened the panorama, there's like this little arrow. Well, that's because you go sideways like this, okay? But he just assumed that it was, you know, you take your picture like this. So the arrow was pointing up. So he said, I just, the arrow just kept pointing. So I just kept going. <laughs> and at no point question the fact that now that he's over his head, there's obviously nothing of the skyline being captured at this moment. So we laughed and Sue's like, this is so typical you, you know. And, but incredibly well-educated and yet still does across his mind that this might not be right. And we chuckle, but the truth is that you can be very well educated and still make some poor decisions. Maybe a, you know of someone this morning, maybe you've been affected by someone who, who made a decision that, that had an extraordinarily negative impact on their life. Maybe a decision that negatively affected your life or your family's life. And, and it's difficult because you know that this person is very knowledgeable, they're very smart, they're very well educated, and yet they still made a very poor choice, made a decision that really changed things. It just goes to show that wisdom is different than knowledge. You can be very knowledgeable and still make some bad decisions. Jesus himself actually challenged the Pharisees on this, this whole idea because they were extremely knowledgeable. The Pharisees knew everything. They understood the law. They studied the law. They memorized the law. But you know what the problem was with those religious leaders? They understood it all. But they didn't understand the God who put the law in place. So they followed what was called the letter of the law instead of the spirit of the law. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 23, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Jesus is saying to these religious leaders, your knowledge is getting you here, but you don't have the wisdom to understand the God who put this law in the first place, how this is to be applied in the world in which we live. Your knowledge is actually hurting you in this situation. There was a man that lived in England a couple of hundred years ago. His name was Charles Spurgeon, a very famous preacher of, the t of that day. He said this of knowledge. He said, wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal and are all the greater fools for it. There is no fool so great a fool as a knowing fool. But to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. You see, wisdom and knowledge, they are both rec these recurring themes that we find throughout Scripture, throughout the Bible. And they work well together. The dictionary defines wisdom as this. It's the ability to discern or judge what is true, right, or lasting. Knowledge, you know, it can exist without wisdom, but not the other way around. One can be knowledgeable without being wise, but wisdom is taking the knowledge and the experience that we have and knowing how to correctly apply it. I heard someone explain it this way. They said, knowledge is knowing how to use a gun. Wisdom is knowing when to use it and when to keep it holstered. And that's wisdom. That's the difference between wisdom and knowledge. God, please give me the wisdom because sometimes I know stuff, but I want the wisdom to know when the right time is to use what I know and maybe sometimes the right time not to use that. That's the kind of wisdom, God, that I need. Last week we talked about this, the wisdom that Solomon had playing out 
in his life. He had this situation. He was kind of the Judge Judy of his day. These, these two women came to settle a dispute, and both of them were mothers, and one of them had lost their baby the night before, and she'd snuck uh, the other baby away from the other mother and was pretending that it was hers, and they were now fighting and arguing, saying, it's my baby, it's my baby, it's my So they come before Solomon and, and basically said, we both think this is our baby. What should we do? Solomon said, well, that's easy. Let's bring a sword in. We'll, we'll just cut the baby in half. You can have half each. Well, the lady who'd already lost her baby, who was lying, she said, good, let's do that. Then we'll have half each and it'll be fair. She'd already lost her child. She had nothing left to lose. She wanted the other mom to experience the pain she had. The real mother, when she heard Solomon's solution, she said, no, no, please, please, please don't do that. Let her have the baby. I'd rather see him live, be raised by her than die. And in that moment, Solomon knew that she was the true mother of the baby. Now, the incredible part about that is Solomon didn't go back in his mind to what he studied at school. There was that one semester where we did math, English, and then sorting out baby disputes. And I remember now in that class, they taught us that this is... (laughs) This wasn't knowledge that he tapped into. This wasn't a a law that had been written that when this happens, this is how. In that moment, Solomon was faced with a dilemma where one of these women wasn't telling the truth and he had no way of knowing for sure. And then he comes up with this idea and wisdom gave him that idea. That's the kind of wisdom that, that we are to seek. That's what wisdom looks like. It's not just the knowledge. The knowledge is important. The wisdom is knowing how to apply the knowledge of what we've learned. So we know it's important. We know a little bit now like uh, what wisdom itself looks like. So how do we get it? How do we get it? We know that uh, we can ask God like Solomon asked God and he will give it. But is that it? Do we just pray and and hope it comes? Or is there something we can actually do to, to gain wisdom in our lives? Well, Solomon himself answers that question in Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10. He says this. He says, fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. You want to know how to get wisdom in your life? Imagine wisdom as being a a house or a structure and, and the foundation where you start this building, where it all starts to grow from, where where wisdom comes from, is the fear of the Lord. Now he isn't the first to suggest this. Solomon would have grown up reading the Psalms. His dad David wrote some of these psalms. He'd been very familiar with the psalms. And one of those psalms in Psalm 111, verse 10, this actually could have been where Solomon was inspired to write what he did in Proverbs. Because Psalm 111, verse 10 says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. All who obey his commandments will grow in wisdom. So there we are again, this idea that, that fear of the Lord, fearing God, is the beginning of wisdom. And if we want wisdom in our lives, we can ask God for it. But here's an actual practical way we can acquire it in our lives. And it is what? It's to fear. Fear the Lord. You know, the Bible talks about this idea of fearing the Lord over 300 times. So it's obviously an important concept, but what does it mean? What does it mean to you and me today? Does it mean that we should be cowering under a rock somewhere, you know, terrified of what God might do? Because when you read it at face value, fear of the Lord, that's kind of the impression that we get, that, that anything could happen. Should I be afraid? God, you've, you've told me not to be afraid, and yet here now I'm, I'm feeling like you're telling me I should be afraid. It's a challenging thought to wrap your head around, and I wish I had more time to speak on it. Maybe it's a subject we can speak on in more detail in the future, but, but just let me kind of explain it here from um, a gentleman by the name of Martin Luther. 
He was a very famous theologian who lived hundreds of years ago, and he talked about this very concept of what it looks like to fear the Lord. And, and I love this illustration that he came up with. Because he talks about this idea of what, what, what healthy, true fear of the Lord should look like. He used a couple of Latin phrases. He talked about the difference between um, servile fear and filial fear. Servile fear and filial fear. So servile fear, he said, is the prisoner awaiting torture. Servile fear is, is the, the slave at the hands of a malicious master. He explained that that's the kind of fear in that situation where um, you, you just have dreadful anxiety in which someone is frightened by the clear and present danger that is represented by another person. Picture that person in that prison cell awaiting the torture that's about to begin. That's the kind of fear best described by this phrase, servile fear. He says that's not the fear of the Lord that the Bible is talking about. That's not the fear of the Lord that Solomon and the psalm writer is talking about. He says you could have a different type of fear. And he refers to this as filial fear. That's the, the root word to the word family. What Luther is using here is a concept to explain that there's a different kind of fear when you think about a child who has tremendous respect and love for his father and mother and who dearly wants to please them. He or she, their fear is different. They have a fear or an anxiety of offending the one that they love, not because they're afraid of torture or even punishment, because they're afraid of displeasing the one who is, in that child's world, the source of security and love. If you're a parent here this morning, I don't think any one of you would want your children to be fearful of you. But at the same time, you'd want them to grow in an environment where because you've you've demonstrated such great love and such great security for your child that, that your child almost grows up not in fear, but just in fear of, of not wanting to let the parent down. They wanting to be the best son or the best daughter possible. Because that's more of a fear that's driven out of respect and just desire to, to demonstrate to the person because you just know you are so loved. God wants to be our source of security and love. And when we have a relationship with him, there's this healthy fear that grows within us of not wanting to displease him. The fear of the Lord in our lives is saying, God, I don't want to upset you. I want to live to please you. I want my life to, to bring glory to your name. That's what it looks like to fear the Lord. And it's that kind of fear that the Bible says is the foundation of wisdom. Having the kind of relationship with God that says, God, I, I'm serious about following you. I care about you. I want to live my life for you. Not because I'm fearful of what harm you may bring upon me if I step out of line, but because I know you love me so much that I'm fearful of letting you down. I don't want to let you down because you've demonstrated such great love for me. My relationship drives me to want to live this way for you. That's the beginning of wisdom. That's the way we can start to see, as well as asking God for wisdom, that's the way we can start to see wisdom develop in our lives. And you know, it's not just that. It's not just that relationship with God. You can take it a step further than that. Wouldn't it be great if, if we could learn more about wisdom? 
I, uh, I'm looking forward to the fall here. So the fall always brings cooler evenings and just great weather before the snow comes. And one of my favorite things about the fall is we get football again at the high school. Now, I'm not really um, the best person to talk to about football. I really don't know a lot about it. I'm really trying hard to figure it out, but it's a very complicated game for this Englishman who grew up playing soccer to figure out. So, so what I tend to do on a Friday night is when I get there at the high school, rather than just sit in the bleachers, I'll wander around a bit and I'll find myself stood by the fence with a friend from the community. Sometimes it'll be someone from here at Connect, and I'll watch the game with them, because I find that as I'm watching the game, they'll tell me things. They'll be like, do you know why that guy just picked up the ball? I'm like, no. Do you know why he threw the ball? Do you know why he, you know, they're telling me all these things, and, and I'm learning more and more about football as I stand next to these people who are telling me. Now, I'll be very happy to return the favor this Wednesday night, uh, this Wednesday lunchtime. Uh, England are playing, and if you'd like to come sit next to me, I would very happily explain to you why they're not picking it up, and why they're just kicking it, and why they're running around so much, and why they're not wearing pads. And... But when you spend time with someone who knows something, you, you learn more about it, don't you? When you spend some time with somebody who enjoys fishing, you start to learn more about fishing. When you spend time with somebody who's good with their hands, you, you start to learn. And, and sometimes that's the best way to grow in an area. So, so when it comes to growing in wisdom, as well as a relationship with God, living in fear, a fearful relationship with God, as well as asking, there's a way we can grow in wisdom by spending time with someone who's wise. So we know, don't we, that Solomon was the wisest man ever to have lived, but he's dead and gone. So we can read his words, but we can't really spend time with him. But it turns out that he actually wasn't the wisest person ever to have lived. Solomon wasn't the wisest person ever to have lived. Brad, in our video, thinks that he's the wisest person ever to have lived. He's the second wisest person. Solomon was wiser than Brad. But actually, we discover in the New Testament that there was somebody who was wiser than Solomon. Jesus tells us about him in chapter 11, verse 31. He's talking about an incident that took place in the life of Solomon. So he's talking about the context of wisdom. And he says this in Luke eleven thirty-one: 31. The queen of Sheba will stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it. For she came from a distant land to hear the wisdom of Solomon. So he's talking to these Jewish people about a person that they're very familiar with and they know about his wisdom. And listen to what he says. Now someone greater then Solomon is here. But you refuse to listen to him. Someone greater than Solomon, somebody wiser than Solomon is right here, right now, and you're refusing to listen to him. Do you know who Jesus was talking about? Jesus. <laughs> the crowds just didn't see it. They didn't get it. They didn't understand. And, and they knew who Solomon was, and they knew how wise he was, but they didn't understand that God himself was in their presence in the form of Jesus, his son, and Jesus is saying in this moment, hey, you thought Solomon was wise. There is someone stood amongst you right now who's even wiser. And we can have a relationship with him. Solomon's dead and gone, but Jesus is, is desiring a relationship with you this morning. In a relationship with Jesus, like me hanging out with my friends on a Friday night learning more about football, as you spend time with Jesus, you're spending time with the wisest man ever to have lived. And that wisdom starts to rub off on you. You start to learn that. That's why I love the phrase being a follower of Jesus. Because if I'm going to follow someone, I want to follow the wisest man that's ever lived. Because as I learn more about him and I learn more about what he taught and how he lived, I glean some of that wisdom in my life. 
so I can pray and I can ask God for wisdom. I can live with a, a life of, of, of healthy fear of God and, and awe and just a desire to want to live in a way that, does, that, that pleases him because I know that that's the foundation of wisdom, but I can also have a relationship with the wisest man ever to have lived. And every one of us can do that this morning. Every one of us, as we seek wisdom in our life, as we step into that relationship and say, Jesus, I want to be more like you because I want that wisdom. God, you've given me so much knowledge and so much experience, but Jesus, I don't want to exist just on that alone. I want to have the wisdom to know the right thing to do, the right thing to say. When it comes to my career, my family, my parenting, my, my relationships with my friends and my neighbors, God, knowledge alone won't be enough. I need wisdom. I need your wisdom in my life. We're going to look a little deeper over the coming weeks at some of those examples of wisdom and some practical ways that they can tie into our life. But the very best thing every one of us could do at the outset of this series is to ask God for wisdom, to worship, to have a relationship of, of fear and respect and awe and love of this wonderful God, to build that wisdom and to seek that relationship with Jesus, the wisest man ever to have lived. Let's pray. Father, I love reading about Solomon. I love reading James when he talks about wisdom. And I realize, God, that this is, this is something that we can't just take for granted. This is something we can't just hope shows up. We can't just um, wonder if maybe when the time's right, it might just appear. Lord, this is something that we have to actively pursue. We have to make a decision to say, God, I want wisdom in my life. We have to make the admission, Lord, that we lack wisdom. We have to be humble enough, Lord, and die to ourselves enough to be able to say, God, I... I know, I can just look back at my life and know that there have been some things I've done that even though I was very knowledgeable at the time, I still made a bad decision. That wasn't the right decision to make. I had all the knowledge available to me and I still made the wrong choice. And it's because in that area, I lacked wisdom. So God, give me wisdom. I know there are folks here this morning who, who even this week are gonna be faced with decisions and situations where knowledge alone won't be enough. They're gonna need your wisdom. So God, I pray in Jesus' name that through a relationship with you, they would experience that kind of wisdom that Solomon himself demonstrated when he deliberated that argument with those two women. Give us wisdom, Lord, I pray, to know what to do, how to do, when to do it, to do what's right. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.